believe me if I told you black freedom lies at the bottom of the deepest ocean. That if you swim far enough, deep enough, fast enough, past the blue and into the black, you will find the abandoned treasures of our ancestors waiting patiently to be reclaimed. All you have to do is swim. This week on Crossing the Lane Lines. And in fact, it's, you know, it's been quite the opposite. I hear more and more stories of how people have been discouraged. I mean, I, I've, since I've done the film and I've started to um, talk to people after screenings and, and hear their water stories, I'm hearing about, you know, modern day situations where uh, a black man and his black children were um, swimming at a uh, pool in Fort Lauderdale and as soon as they got in, all the white people got out. Um, you know, constant stories of people being told that, you know, the, the stereotypes, oh, black people don't swim. Um, so, yeah, we, we've got a long way to go. From seaweed to lost beach balls, sun seekers bump into all sorts of surprises swimming along Florida's iconic beaches. For black swimmers, however, there is a complex history floating off Florida's coastline. One of segregation and violence, but also one of protest and resistance. Diving deep into black Florida's fight for the right to swim, we'll speak to award-winning filmmaker Kathleen Dean about the segregated beaches and pools of South Florida and the relationship with the civil rights movement and the quest of water access for all. All that more coming up. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Lee, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. Would you believe me if I told you that black freedom lies at the deepest ocean? That if you swim far enough, deep enough, fast enough, past the blue and into the black, you will find the abandoned treasures of our ancestors waiting patiently to be reclaimed. All you have to do is swim. These are the first words spoken in the film that focuses on the demand to water access for the black community. During the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, most people saw the images of black people sitting at whites-only lunch counters, riding with their allies on integrated buses throughout the South, and peacefully protesting in mass rallies and marches. What many have no idea about is how central a role swimming played in the struggle. During the 60s in Florida, black swimmers demanded the right to swim at the state's beaches and pools. There is a long and complex history floating off Florida's waterways, one that has a history of violence towards black protesters, but also the peaceful resistance by the black community to this violence. Kathleen Dean is an Emmy award-winning filmmaker, avid swimmer, and the creator of the short documentary, Wade in Water, Drowning in Racism, a film that dives deep into black Florida's fight for the right to swim in state beaches and swimming pools. Kathleen Dean, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Kathleen, before we discuss your film, I want to start with a little background. When did you first learn to swim, and what was your experience growing up swimming in South Florida? 
Ah, so um, I did not grow up in South Florida. I grew up in um, upstate New York in Westchester County. Um, I'm one of 10 children, um, one of the younger ones. Um, and swimming and water has always been a part of my life. Every summer, we were either at a beach or a swimming pool or a lake, um, all summer, every summer. That is how um, my family um, spent summer vacations. Um, my connection to South Florida is my father was born and raised in Hollandale Beach, Florida. And um, after he served in the Korean War, he found himself in New York and met my mother and the rest was uh, their history. <laughs> Many people have no idea how central a role swimming played in the civil rights movement. In fact, many people, including those within the black community, have no idea about our extensive aquatic history. I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a brief history of swimming in the African diaspora. Okay, um, sure. So I, I made my way to South Florida um, after 9-11. Um, and um, after being here for a short time, I became acquainted with... Um, diversity in aquatics. Um, I was in great shape and looking to swim. And uh, I met um, Thaddeus Gamery. And through him, I was introduced to Bruce Weigo, who was then the director of the International Swimming Hall of Fame. Um, they knew I was a filmmaker. And they had asked me to um, come and um, record a documented ceremony. They were honoring a, a little boy who had pulled another young person out of a swimming pool and saved our life. So while I was at the um, International Swimming Hall of Fame, Bruce took me to see their art gallery. And there in this beautiful gallery, my mind was absolutely blown. Through art, he had curated an exhibition that detailed the history of Africans in swimming virtually from the beginning of recorded time. I learned that day that Africans had a, a connection to the water that was part of their culture. They lived on or near the waterways, um, swimming, fishing, diving, aquatic uh, skills were part of our culture. And Africans were some of the greatest swimmers of their time. And Africans uh, taught Europeans how to swim. And uh, that's that's kind of the, the, the brief history that I that I was shown that day at the International Swimming Hall of Fame. Kathleen, I'm wondering if you could speak a little about a protest that took place in St. Augustine, Florida, on June 18, 1964, at the Monson Motor Lodge. What happened? Who were some of the people involved, like James Brock and Mimi Jones? Ah, uh, yes. So, um... That protest that took place in St. Augustine, Florida in 1964, there's a very famous photograph that, um, that's featured in my film, and I'm sure many people have seen it. It is a, uh, a photograph that depicts um, two, women, uh, two, two women of color and a white man in a swimming pool, and at the edge of the pool is um, the then um, manager of that hotel pouring acid into the swimming pool. So basically there was a, um, a swim-in 
I believe the story goes that Martin Luther King had been denied access to the restaurant attached to that facility. So a swimming was staged, and this man, this um, manager of the hotel, was so outraged, James Brock, that he poured acid into the pool. And, and one of the women pictured there is Mimi Jones. She was an activist. I believe she was from Georgia, and she traveled to St. Augustine to take part in that protest. And that was, that was on the eve of the, the passing of the civil rights um, uh, bills. I've actually listened to some recordings uh, regarding that situation, and it's just, it's just so outrageous when you go back and you look at the, the hatred <laughs> that this man was actually you know, pouring acid into a, a pool while people were in, emerged in the water. Crazy. I'm glad you brought up Thaddeus Gamory, because in the film he talks about the value of water. Now, as the need for sanitation as well as recreation grew for whites in the late 19th and 20th century, the government and private companies began to institute a system to teach people how to swim. Large municipal pools were created, lifeguarding certification rose, and the water was seen as a place where families could come and spend a day but it was only geared toward white people. Kathleen Dean, we are now in 2021. How much progress have we made as a society to try and make sure that black people, people of color, indigenous people also have the same access to water as white people? Well, you know, I, I have to go back to the statistics that um, children of color drown at six to seven times the rate of Caucasian children. So when you have that kind of disparity in, in, in lives that are lost due to a lack of swimming ability, I think that pretty much says a lot. Um, we, had a, we had a situation here in, in South Florida last year um, at a historically black pool um, where um, some friends of mine were, um, they became the target of a, a a racial incident. The uh, white woman in the pool actually had the police called on um, my friend and her son who were swimming laps at this pool and the police came and then banned them from the pool and it was just it was so outrageous because you know um, I had featured this story of this pool in my documentary and to, to hear that that took place just last year um, yeah we, we have a long way to go um, as far as um, getting getting access for people of color, I mean there were major. You know, I, I believe um, Thaddeus speaks about this in the film. That there were there were major marketing campaigns that went on. Not only were these massive pools built in white neighborhoods, um, but there were you know concerted efforts to you know convince white people to learn how to swim. And I don't think we've ever had that. Um, in our community, and in fact, it's you know it's been quite the opposite. I hear more and more stories of how people have been discouraged. I mean, I, I've since I've done the film and I've started to um, talk to people after screenings and, and hear their water stories. I'm hearing about you know modern day situations where uh, a black man and his black children were um, swimming at a uh, pool in Fort Lauderdale, and as soon as they got in, all the white people got out. Um, you know, constant stories of people being told that, you know, 
the, the stereotypes, oh, black people don't swim. Um, so yeah, we, we've got a long way to go. And that's kind of why I thought it was so important for me to tell the story through Wade in the Water, Drowning in Racism. Um, you know, working with my partners at Diversity and Aquatics, we really want to dispel those negative stereotypes that black people don't swim. Uh, you know, black people are very accomplished swimmers. We just have dealt with, you know, this history of racism that has kept us away from the pools. And that's, that's one of the even more startling notions um, is how many people don't understand the history. And they're, they're sort of like seeped in that ignorance because you don't understand that black people were kept away from the waters. That was an eye-opening um, situation for me as a child. Um, my family would take summer trips to South Florida where my, to visit my father's family. And at one of these beach outings, I was sitting on the sand with my family and my father was in the water. I noticed that he didn't know how to swim because my, my father is a black man born in South Florida in 1930. He did not have access to the water, <laughs> to these beautiful beaches that I enjoy, you know, several times a week here in South Florida. Um, it's just mind blowing to know that you couldn't access you couldn't even go close to the beach unless you had a pass issued by the police department that stated that you were working for somebody, that you were hired to cut someone's lawn or clean their house, a white person's house. You were not allowed to go near the water if you were a black person. And even the, the home that I, that I purchased in South Florida, I would sit on the porch with my father and he would tell me that when he was young, he couldn't even he couldn't be in this neighborhood, so it's 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 so close, um, and we're still dealing with so many of the um, inequities and injustices, and the the, the remnants. And um, Thaddeus also talks about in the film that um, there's trauma that's passed down, generational trauma passed down, you know, and um, you know the work we do with our swimming club is like trauma-informed. We have a lot of people who've been through um, some very um, emotional situations in their life and they take extra special care in, in helping um, these people overcome their fears and learn how to swim. And you know there's so many reasons you know not only does it save your life but you know for health and wellness and just uh, peace of mind. Uh, the water is so so crucial I think for everyone to, to if you don't have a relationship with it, um, you need to, to think about why you don't and um, maybe start to foster that relationship with the water. Can you talk about black men who joined the military in the 40s that couldn't swim and the cultural shift that occurred when these black GIs returned from World War II? Sure, so, you know, um, we had people living in Jim, the Jim Crow South who were not allowed access to the water and they were then recruited to go serve in the military and protect the country and uh, many of them went to war and they bravely served the country um, some were um, honored for their, their military accomplishments, and um, many were taught to swim while in the uh, military. 
And when these GIs returned home, they wanted a place to continue swimming. And that started, you know, the shift in the culture. I'm wondering if you could talk about the impact that Brown v. Board of Education had on shutting down municipal pools in urban areas and their impact on the black community. Sure. So um, in 1954, the Supreme Court ruled um, in Brown versus the Board of Education that um, the separate but equal clause was a violation of the 14th Amendment. So basically, it started the process of um, dismantling separate but equal. So, um, you know, from the schools to the counters, the lunch counters, to the swimming pools, um, there was a wave of protests that took place. Um, black people paid taxes, um, they were upstanding citizens, and they started to demand and protest for their right to access the water. I consider myself someone who knows a lot about the civil rights movement with respect to swimming, but I was actually blown away by the information I found with regards to Dr. Von D. Meisel and also Eula Johnson-Clark. Now, can you speak about their impact on black demands for swimming spaces? And then can you go further still how they were not given the recognition they deserved until very recently? Sure. So, um, Dr. Von D. Meisel was the first black surgeon uh, in Fort Lauderdale. He was a founding um, member of Provident Hospital in 1938. It was the first black hospital in, in the area. Um, before that, there was no hospital for blacks to go to. If you were hurt, you were simply cared for in your home. Um, he was trained and he saw a need uh, and established the hospital. And um, Eula Johnson was a protege of his. Uh, Don Von, Von Meisel also um, started the Fort Lauderdale chapter of the NAACP. And Eula Johnson was um, a longtime president. And together, these two civil rights pioneers organized some of the, um, the protests and the wait-ins um, they demanded a, a beach for black people to go to in Fort Lauderdale. And the, the city, um, you know, there was a very famous protest that took place on um, Fort Lauderdale Beach. And this was at the time where, um, you know, tourism was on the rise. And, and that was the draw, you know, to, to fuel the economy in South Florida. And so the, you know, the powers that be were like uh, in an uproar. They were like, okay, we better find a place for these black people to swim so they're not here on Fort Lauderdale Beach, you know, with all the white people. So a beach was designated. Um, and the beach, ironically, originally was named John U. Lloyd State Park. And it was named after the lawyer who filed the paperwork, um, who was a white guy. So for many, many years, um, this beach, the historically black beach in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, or it's actually in um, Dania Beach, Florida, which is just south of Fort Lauderdale, um, was the beach for black people to go to. But there was no access initially. There was, there, it was separated by a waterway. And the only way you could get to this beach was via ferry. And um, 
you know, Ron Mizell and Eula Johnson also um, led some protests and demanded that there be access to this beach, and, and later um, a bridge and a road was built so that uh, people could drive to the beach. Um, in 2016, the beach was finally renamed in honor of these two amazing people who, who led the way to um, open up access to people of color in South Florida. In 2016, it took that long. <laughs> There's a very powerful moment near the end of your film where Thaddeus Gemery talks about what one loses without access to water. Can you talk about what he said in regards to this? Yes. Um, I can I can paraphrase what Thaddeus says in the film. And, and this was a, a very important statement to me. Um, it was really important that I included it in the film. And to paraphrase him, he says that um, it's crucial that people have a, a relationship with the water. When we don't have people of color, black and brown people, when we don't have a relationship with the water, there, there's a loss. There's a financial loss, there's a cultural loss, there's a spiritual loss, there's a health and wellness loss. And he says that these are measurable facts. So it's extremely important in all of the aspects that, that he's mentioned that we do have a relationship with the water. Um, there are many jobs, you know, the marine industry is one of the number one, um, you know, supporters of employment here in South Florida and many other coastal areas around the country. Um, learning to swim, you know, it's not only a life-saving skill, it's, it's for your mental health, for your fitness. There's so many benefits to, to the water. Um, and we've sort of, um, our, our chapter of diversity in aquatics here in South Florida has sort of uh, evolved into a, uh, a Sunday mindful practice where we meet at that um, historically black beach the Yvonne D. Mizell, Eula Johnson Beach. And we start off with a land acknowledgement. Um, we acknowledge the, the Native Americans who were at that land long before us. Um, there's an acknowledgement to the, um, the Africans who lost their lives trying to access that waterway, to the civil rights pioneers who fought the, the, the hard and long fights to get us access to that water. And then we take some time to do a mindful walk and meditation, and we end in the water. And it is um, the highlight of my week and many of the other people who are part of our, our community of practice that we, we sort of end and begin our week uh, with time spent in the water. It's healing, it's rejuvenating, um, and it's, it's one of the reasons that I really appreciate um, where I live. And I think no matter where you live in the country, um, there is some water that you can access, be it a pool, a lake, a river, that um, for your total well-being, uh, water is life. Um, I just heard very recently um, a very eloquent woman said, you know, we, we came from water, so eventually we're going to seek it out. So seek it out. Um, for me, it's important also to teach young people to learn to swim. Um, my son was introduced to swimming lessons at nine months of age. Um, 
the earlier the better. I think that was part of like our tradition as people of the African diaspora. We were, our ancestors were swimming at a very early age. I think it's like a language skill. The sooner you get in, the, the easier it is to, to pick it up and develop the skills. But it's never too late. So even if you are an adult and you are, have never, you know, had a lesson in your life, um, there are some wonderful people around the country who specialize in teaching adults to swim. And it's, it's, it's important. And I think that um, establishing that connection to the water, um, it's life-changing. Finally, if people want to get an opportunity to view this extraordinary film, where can they go? Ah, so to, to view the film, um, I would love for people to reach out to me. We are in the uh, stage where we are um, participating in the festival circuit, but we are also um, taking um, engagements, screening engagements. So I'd be happy to discuss screening engagements with anyone who's interested in viewing the film. And if you follow me too, um, I'll also be announcing the festivals that the film will be screening at. Um, the next one will be at the Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival uh, next month. And um, yeah, and I'd love to also um, you know, put together a panel to discuss some of the themes that we um, explore in the film. The film is entitled Wade in Water, Drowning in Racism, a documentary that dives deep into Black Florida's fight for the right to swim in state beaches and swimming pools. The film was made by Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Kathleen Dean, an avid swimmer and a director of arts and theater performance at L.A. Lee YMCA Mizell Community Center. And we will link to where you can see this amazing film. Kathleen Dean, we wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our country. And thank you again for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much. On September 6th of this year, Michael Kenneth Williams, a.k.a. Omar, passed away. His death stunned not only those who had the honor of working with this amazing actor, but also his many fans and admirers. I was prepared to offer a stirring tribute to this amazing brother, but words fail me at the moment. So I'm going to play a clip from the acclaimed series The Wire. But before I do, I just wanted to say, Michael, thank you for your strength, honesty, and ability to make your characters fierce, empathic, and true. No more coming, y'all. Get out the way. Mr. Little. Can I ask why you came forward in this case? I told the police what I know. Were you offered anything in exchange? Like what? Were you arrested? Were you going to be charged with a crime? And by testifying, did the police agree to drop those charges? No, man, ain't even about that. How many times have you been arrested as an adult, Mr. Little? Sure, I done lost count. No, don't have to take it personal. Possession of a handgun, 
possessing a concealed weapon, assault by pointing, robbery, deadly weapon, possession of a handgun again, followed by violation of parole on weapon charges, followed by one count of attempted murder and use of a handgun in commission of a felony. That wasn't no attempt murder. What was it, Mr. Little? I shot the boy Mike, Mike and his hind paws, that all. <laughs> Fixed it so he couldn't sit right. <laughs> Why'd you shoot Mike, Mike and his, um, his hind parts, Mr. Little? You see, we had a disagreement. A disagreement over? Well, you see, Mike, Mike thought he should keep that cocaine he was slinging and the money he was making from slinging it. I thought otherwise. So you, you rob drug dealers? This is what you do? Yes, sir. You walk the streets of Baltimore with a gun, taking what you want, when you want it, willing to use violence when your demands aren't met. This is who you are. Why should we believe your testimony, then? Why believe anything you say? That's up to y'all, really. You say you aren't here testifying against the defendant because of any deal you made with police. True that. That you're here because you, you, you want to tell the truth about what happened to Mr. Gant in that housing project parking lot. Yeah. When, in fact, you are exactly the kind of person who would, if you felt you needed to, shoot a man down on a housing project parking lot and then lie to the police about it, would you not? And look, I ain't never put my gun on no citizen. You are a moral, are you not? You are feeding off the violence and the despair of the drug trade. You're stealing from those who themselves are stealing the lifeblood from our city. You are a parasite who leeches off Just like you, the culture man. of drugs. Excuse me? What? I got the shotgun. Got the briefcase. It's on the game, though, right? You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines. Signing off.